Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. A couple weeks ago when I was here, I was sick preaching and I got better and now I'm on round two of something different. I was talking with Brian this week and I said, are you sure you're not up to preach? And <laughs> Now I will say this from my conversation with Brian, Pastor Brian, um, he's doing well, but he doesn't sit well, right? So if you can pray for anything for him, pray that he will just sit and do nothing while he recovers. Sometimes, any of you just have a hard time sitting? I like, I can't even sit and watch a movie. It drives me crazy. I'm like, I could be doing something. So I get that. That's a, that's a challenge for some people. Um, others, you can rest well, and it's, it's a good thing. Well, this morning we are uh, picking up in Matthew chapter 6, um, where I left off two weeks ago, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. We're in this text of, of Matthew 6 where, you know, this is Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has said to his disciples, I don't want you to be like the hypocrites who do things just to be seen by other people, but I want you to do them in a way that your spiritual practices are for God, not for the crowds. And so a couple weeks ago, I talked about the idea that our giving should be for God, not for the, not for the attention of other people. Today, we're going to be looking at the subject of prayer, and then in two weeks, we'll be looking at the subject of fasting. And so, as we look at the subject of prayer, um, in the context, we're also going to be looking this morning at the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus does give us here. Um, but it's interesting, as I was kind of working through this text, I felt like the Lord kind of brought to my, to my attention the first time I was ever asked to pray publicly. I was in high school. Um, Back when I was coming through school, uh, through public school, we had baccalaureate services. I don't know that they do that anymore. They might, and they, but uh, we actually had a church service, and everybody from my high school and parents and teachers and administration were all invited, and I was asked to lead kind of like the, the main prayer at this thing. And I remember, I, like I was, I was a young Christian. I had not been raised in the church. I, um, it, my faith was, was, was strong, but it was immature. And I remember thinking, I have got to land this thing right because these are my peers. These are my teachers. And I want them to be impressed. <laughs> oh my goodness. So that's the very thing Jesus is actually challenging that mentality in, in the text we're gonna look at this morning. And it was funny because I felt like the Lord just brought, I hadn't thought of that moment in, in a long time. I guarantee you this, nobody was impressed and thank God nobody even remembers what I said. Um, so I, I, I kind of wish that I had a copy of whatever that prayer was, but it's probably better that I don't. I've gone back and read sermons before that I preached like 10, 20 years ago. And I'm like, oh, oh, that poor congregation. And uh, I wish I could go back and give some apologies for the nonsense that came out of my immature mouth. But God is good and he's gracious. And sometimes he takes our, our feeble attempts 
as uh, broken as they can be sometimes, and he uses them for his glory. Thankful for that. But I'm wondering if you've ever been asked to pray in public, have you ever worried more about everybody in the room than God? Will you, will you raise your hand if that's ever been you? Okay, good. I don't feel alone now. Um, it is common when we're asked to speak in front of people to say in our head, I've got to impress them. But when it comes to prayer, the only person we should be talking to is God, right? But then we do this, right? Somebody prays and we're like, man, that was a great prayer. And, we, and, and it may have been a great prayer and that may be a good accolade to give, but what we internalize is, I've gotta make sure I do this right. Sometimes preachers feel that way when they preach. I mean, honestly, I'm not, I am preaching to you, so I, need, I want it to land well, but when I pray, no offense, I'm not praying to you. I don't need it to land well with you. But in our, in our fears and insecurities, we tend to struggle with this. Well, I'm gonna pray before I read the text, but don't judge it. God, we have a real common human problem. We worry about the crowd around us. Help us to get our mind off of those around us and just fix our minds on Jesus. You are the author, you are the perfecter of our faith. Help this message land well. Um, Help my voice to hold up. And may we be changed by your word and your challenge to us. Amen. Jesus opens up. Um, we can go to that next slide. Yeah. Can we black, yeah, make that back part disappear? There we go. There we go. So Jesus opens up talking about when we pray. And he says this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. And at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go in your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. What is Jesus calling us to? Well, the first point is Jesus is assuming that we're praying people. He's assuming it. When you pray, that's how he opens this this text with with his crowd here. He says, hey, when you pray, not if you pray, or not should you take some time at some point to pray, but when you pray. And I'm just going to say this. I think all human beings are praying people. Jesus refers to two crowds or two types of people in this. He says, don't be like these people. He refers to the hypocrites, hypocrites and the Gentiles. The Gentiles are not believers. They're, these are people that don't believe in God. And yet he says, they also pray. We're all asking for help from something or someone outside of ourselves. And Jesus assumes that his followers are going to be those who talk to God, who just simply have conversations with God. I don't know about you, but when I met my wife, 
One of the most wonderful things about this woman is she and I could talk for hours and hours and hours. And even now, given the right set of circumstances, sometimes we will lay in bed and I just will talk at her until she falls asleep. Or she will talk at me or with me until I fall asleep. In fact, sometimes if she's angry or frustrated, she'll wake me up and say, I'm not done. Wake up. We have more to talk about. Anybody else been there? Like, we're communicative people, right? Like, we are created to have words that we need to express. And Jesus says, if you believe in God, and even if you don't, we're going to see, you have words to communicate to your creator. They're, they're there. And so Jesus knows that. And he says, so when you're going to communicate to God, there's going to be some right ways and wrong ways to do it. So he assumes that we're praying. Second of all, he says, there is a wrong way to pray. You can get this wrong. But trust me, it's not because you use the wrong words, um, as we often fear. He says in, in the beginning of chapter, uh, verse five, or the second part of verse five, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I say, they've received their reward already. So as we talked about last time I preached, a hypocrite is someone who's fake. They're an actor. And so Jesus, in his context, um, whenever there's gonna be a prayer prayed in the temple, there would be a, a, a a horn that would be blasted throughout the community and people would know, oh, it's time for prayer. And so wherever they were in the community, on the street, if they were in the marketplace, if they were at work, they would stop and face the temple and they would, they would pray wherever they were, no matter who they were in front of. So in that context, Jesus says, don't be like these guys when the horn blows that you're like, oh, look how holy I am and do your thing. He says, that's not how you pray. This is not about getting the attention <coughs> of the crowd so that they will look at you and go, wow, she is so holy. Look at him. He is amazing. He just loves Jesus. He says, not that you can't pray publicly. In fact, we see throughout scripture public prayers. But he says, if your prayers are public for the public, then you're doing it wrong. Jesus denounces this display of worship that is focused on the crowd rather than focused on God. Now I'm gonna step on a few toes. I might even smash a few. If you've ever been to a church service or in a crowd of people praying or been the person praying in the crowd where there's a whole lot of these and thous in Old English, you may have been praying to the crowd, not to God. If you've ever been praying and there's, in the context of the prayer, you say Father God 20 times in the prayer, you may have been praying to the crowd, not to God. It is easy, it is easy to be very mindful of what everybody in the room is thinking of my prayer. And I can think of times that I prayed and I was way more mindful of what everybody else was judging and thinking of my prayer than actually just talking to God. As I, I'm a hospital chaplain, I work at CMC, and I, in the course of every day of my work, I'm asked to pray with people. And I oftentimes have to go, okay, remember, this is not about them. It's hard, right? 
It's, it's, like, it's like that natural tendency. And Jesus says, don't do this. Don't, don't do this type of prayer that's all about the crowd. That's the wrong way to pray. We can pray in front of others, but we need to not pray for the others that we're in front of. Pray to God, pray for God. For, for his praise, for his attention, not the attention of the crowd. Second is this. Jesus says, when you pray, pray primarily in private. Now, we know that Jesus prayed publicly. We know that Paul prayed publicly. We know that the scriptures are loaded with public prayers. But the idea is this, that our public prayer should be an overflow of our private prayer life. So if you're standing in front praying, that should be like the natural, like it's just an overflow of what's already naturally happening in your prayer closet um, at home, in your own private time with the Lord. Um, So again, Jesus is condemning this praying to the audience. And he says, and the best way to combat that is to pray privately. Throughout scripture, um, Jesus, uh, or throughout scripture, God condemns corporate worship that misses the mark of, of being about our head and heart. It's about, becomes about outward displays. In Hosea 6, um, God says this. He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I'm going to stop there before I read the rest. Did God require the Israelites to make sacrifices? Yes or no? Yes, he absolutely did. But those sacrifices were to be rooted in their steadfast love of God. And what God says here is what I ultimately wanted through all of those sacrifices was your love. And he says, I desire steadfast love and not the sacrifice. The sacrifice is just an outward display of that inward reality. And he says, and I desire the knowledge of God rather than the burnt offerings. And so God says this, when it comes to your prayer life, I want you to connect with me. I want you to want to talk with me till four in the morning until one person's asleep. That was us. <laughs> hello, are you still there? Hello, hello. Back when we had to hang the phone up, you know. And God says, I want you to so love me, to so desire to talk with me, that you just do it. That it's just like, it's, it's what you want. And, and, and you do this in private. It's not just like some big showy display. God is concerned with our personal faith more than our corporate worship. And I'm going to say this, it is easy. It's easy for me. So I assume it's easy for you to go through Monday through Saturday without a thought to God, but we're going to show up at church on Sunday as if God's the most important thing in our week. And Jesus says, this shouldn't be so. This is not what your faith should look like. And he reminds us, and we talked about this last time, Jesus reminds us that the Father sees and he rewards secret prayers. If you've struggled to ever believe that God really hears your prayers and he's really answering them, he really does 
respond to what you say? Jesus says he absolutely does. He hears what you're saying. He wants to answer those prayers. He, he delights in, in, in that. In fact, at Luke 18, we have this crazy story, probably my least favorite parable of all the parables. He, Jesus tells this story about this persistent widow in this town with this, this judge who's kind of cruel and, and uncaring. And, and it's, Jesus says that this widow goes to this judge day in and day out pleading for him to do something, to be merciful and to respond to whatever her request was. And, and in the end, the judge says, basically to get this annoying nag off my back, I'm gonna do what she says. And Jesus says, you should be like this woman before God. And I'm like, man, Oh, so get, it's, and the reason why I don't like it is it kind of paints this picture and it's not, it's, you have to understand parables have a, have a very narrow point they're making, so don't over-apply some of them, or don't over-apply any of them. Jesus is not saying be a nag and God is this, this uncaring judge. That's not Jesus' point. But he's saying when you approach God, God's desire, his delight is that you keep coming back, that you, that you, just, you just plead with him and you throw, fall at his feet and, you, and you, you know he's merciful and you know he's good and you know he's gonna hear you and so you're just gonna keep on keeping on and, and not give up and be like, God doesn't care because we can do that, right? And, and, and Jesus says, God's gonna see your prayer life and he's gonna reward that. So he sees those secret prayers. Don't give up. Don't, don't quit. And then he says this in verses seven and eight. He says, uh, Jesus says, don't pray using a bunch of dumb words. He's, in a lot of your translations, you have the word babble. It's an onomatopoeia. Remember learning that word in school? Yeah, I vaguely do too. And, but just because it was a funny word, it sticks. But he basically says, you're just running your chops. They're like, oh, blah, 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 God, do something. And she's like, mm, stop, just stop. It's God's calling. Um, <laughs> better answer that. Sorry, I just couldn't, I couldn't not respond. My wife, in those moments, she turns red. She's like, oh, why? Um, I'm sorry, whoever that phone is. But he says, hey, <clears throat> back to the text. When you pray, Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they're gonna be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. All right. Did Jesus ever pray long prayers? What do you think? In Luke 6, prior to Jesus calling the disciples, he tells us that Jesus prayed through the night until the sun came up. So Jesus is not denouncing long prayers. I remember sitting as a teenager in church sometimes thinking this guy is never gonna stop praying. I remember specifically this one instance, you had this 150-year-old man that was preaching that Sunday as the pastor was gone. At least he seemed that old in that moment, but he had to get up a lot of steps, so I think he wasn't. Um, but when he prayed, I was like, oh my goodness, it's never gonna end. You know when you're a teenager, you ever feel that way as a teenager, particularly in church? Yeah. Yes, some of you nod your head. You're not even with him anymore. Put your phone down. Um, so, and then what was crazy was after he was done praying, the choir stood up and sang Sweet Hour of Prayer. 
And it was one of those moments where the snickering started and I didn't think I could get it under control. And I don't know that I did, I can't remember. But, but that is no lie. Like I, I remember thinking, oh my word, this guy's never gonna stop praying, which is okay, because he wasn't praying to me anyways. But Jesus is not condemning lengthy prayers per se, but I think he is saying that if you have nothing to say, say what you need to say and shut up. He doesn't, God is not impressed with you praying for an hour and saying nothing. I know I'm, I'm getting into dangerous territory. I, I know this. He says, pray, tell God what's on your heart. Keep it short and sweet and to the point. That's okay. You don't need to just fill the words. I, it's funny, I, I have prayed before in public and sometimes I don't say in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer. And I've been called out for that before. And then I look at the person who calls me out for it and I'm like, can you find that in the Bible for me? Maybe you've thought before, that guy didn't pray very long. That was not a good prayer. Can you find that in the Bible? Sometimes we create these judgments of what makes a good prayer or a bad prayer, and that's just not biblical at all. It's just what we've become accustomed to because of our church experience. But here's the here's a big idea. God has wired his world to work on prayer. He expects us to pray. He tells us that there are ways we can overcomplicate this, we can confuse the audience, and he says, hey, church, Christian, listen, I don't need a thousand father gods, I don't need your these and thous, just talk to me. Tell me what's on your heart, and I'm gonna listen, and I'm gonna reward you, and you don't have to get all the words right, and you don't have to worry about the peanut gallery sitting around you and whatever they're thinking about the prayer, just talk to me. And talk to me when you're alone and talk to me when you're driving down the car and talk to me when you're afraid and talk to me when, whenever. And, and if you have to pray in front of the crowd, try to, try to ignore them if you can and, and, and crowd, don't judge the prayer. And he, and he says, just simply talk and use your normal language and tell me what you need. I already know it anyways. And I just want a genuine relationship with you. I want you to talk to me. I want you to know that I'm here. That's his point. And then he tells us exactly how to do it. And it's, it's so simple. He says, so, so when you're gonna pray, pray, just pray like this. And I think this is an important word right here, like. He says, because he, he doesn't say, pray this exact prayer, and whenever you're done doing whatever prayer you prayed, make sure you tack this on to sanctify your prayer which has been the practice a lot of times, particularly in, and I'm gonna say the Protestant church. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You ever, you ever do that prayer like in the crowd and you're like, oh, are, is this gonna be trespasses or debtors? I don't know which one I've gotta do. And so you just go quiet? Yeah, me too. Isn't it great when the preacher just calls out the thing you've always been thinking and you're like, am I the only one? Nah, we're all in that same boat. And lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. 
All right, now I'm just gonna say one of those other kind of obvious things. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Well, how did that get dropped out? So I'll get a little church history lesson. 1611, we get the King James Bible. It's the first time we get the Bible translated into modern English. We have manuscripts of the Bible, but we aren't entirely sure which ones are the oldest, and we grab some that we think are the oldest, and they're not the oldest, and they include this phrase that was a later edition, um, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And it gets included in Scripture. We end up getting it out of the Bible later, but the tradition is already stuck, and we're off to the races. Last week, and I was at Mass, uh, Catholic Mass. I know the priest; he's a good friend. And uh, I'm, I'm at Mass, and there's a and there's a good bit of Protestants, um, and we're all sitting together. And um, comically, we as he's doing like if you've if you've never been to Mass, you should go. Um, it's one of those things where you will feel like a fish out of water. You're like, I don't know. Do I sit? Do I stand? What do I say? When I would do, how do I do this? And like all the things you think you know how to do, you suddenly you don't know how to do. But then we get to the Our Father. We get to this prayer. And all of a sudden the Protestants, they're like, yeah, we know this. And they're like clicking along. And I'm like, going, stop, stop. I'm literally doing my arms like this to get them to stop so that when the priest stops, that they're not going, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And because... Uh, you know, they know not to do that, but we still do it. So at any rate, it's a little church history lesson for you. So what is Jesus getting at? All right, so when he says, when you pray, pray like this. I think the idea here is that there's to be an order and a content to our prayers. Not that we necessarily pray this exact prayer and these exact words. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but I think it's about order and content. Um, the idea is that, that we... We have some things that we need to do. Order. Um, this prayer begins with three petitions that are very much God-focused. God, I'm focusing my attention to start my prayer on you. And then it ends with three petitions that are very much focused on our everyday lives. So I think that's, that order is important, that when we pray, our mindset needs to begin focused on God, then focusing on what we need. What we tend to do is, God, forgive me for my sins, and God, answer this prayer, answer this prayer, answer this prayer, answer this prayer. If you've ever been to a Wednesday night prayer meeting at a church, it is literally like a lot of prayer about physical healing. And that's, that's not a bad thing, but the question I have to ask is, if we begin with only doing that and we end with only doing that, did we miss something? And I think we did, based off of what Jesus has taught us here. And then the second, so, and then that content is very important. And so Jesus demonstrates for us what that content should be. And I want to talk about some of that. Next one. So Jesus says, when you pray, address God as a good father. And I'm going to unpack this word here in a second. Who is transcendent and desire his name to be honored as holy. Jesus kind of throws this curveball. He says, um, in this prayer, he says, our father who is in heaven, or you may know it as who art in heaven. Um, and then you're like, who's art? I remember as a teenager thinking, who's art in heaven? Is he like next to God? I don't know who art is, but I knew a guy named art at the church. So, you know, as a teenager, you do these things or t kid, you do these, these things or you see these things and you're like, I just wonder, you know, and I did and I never asked and it's probably better because somebody would have laughed. But, Jesus says, 
First of all, he says, our father, which is a very unusual term for God, for the Jews who would be surrounding him as he's teaching this, who won't even write out the name of God, who won't even say the name of God. And Jesus says, oh, God, yes, God is kind of like so high and lofty. That's that word transcendence. But he says, God is near like a father and he's relational like a father. He's like, but at the same time, he says, our father who is in heaven, who is, we use the the theological word is, is transcendent. In other words, he is above us. So he is a father who is is not like, he ain't like me. So when my teenage son says, yeah, brah, blah, 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 and I'm like, okay, stop, time out. I ain't your brah, I'm your dad, okay? And so I wanna challenge this mentality that we approach God, I'm like, yo, gee, what's up? You know, that was 90s. Um, and God's like, whoa, time out. I'm God, yes, I'm your father, but careful. I'm also high and lifted up. I'm in heaven, I'm exalted, I am above you. And so we, we have this sense that, yes, God is this good father, this beautiful relationship, but he's also above. And then he says, and I used to think, this is one of the, there are a lot of things about the Lord's Prayer I used to misunderstand. Um, this is probably the one that I, I needed to be reminded of as I was studying this passage for the scripture, uh, for the sermon. He says, you know, our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name, or hallowed be thy name, in the King James. Interestingly, that is not a declaration of praise. Holy is your name. I used to think that was a declaration of praise, but it's not. It's actually a request. It is, God, let your name be praised. Let your name be hallowed. Let your name be seen as holy and lifted up in my life and in the world around me. And and this is consistent in scripture. In Isaiah 26, verse eight, this is the prayer Isaiah writes. He says, yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you, for your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. The idea is, I desire, God, for you to make your name. It's actually, hallowed be thy name is, is a, I'm not gonna get into the Greek of it, but the, the point is, it is a request asking God to make his name be hallowed and lifted up in me and around me. That's the idea. So God, let, let all, including myself, recognize how magnificent and awesome your name is. This, this elevates this relationship with God um, from just this casual kind of bra thing that I think is, is, is a common misunderstanding about how we approach God in prayer. Next is this. We need to ask for the Father's kingdom to come and for his will to be done to the ends of the earth. Um, this, is, this is a simple prayer of basically saying, God, I just want you to fulfill Revelation 21 and 22. Come, Lord Jesus, come back. Set this place right. I'm recognizing, God, you, you know what's gonna fix this world. Bring Eden to this moment. And it's a request. Say, God, this is all so broken. Sin has destroyed everything here. God, I know you're the one who can fix it. Will you come and will you fix this broken mess? And then from there, he says this. 
Ask the Father to supply all your needs. Oh, give us this day our daily bread. That was one I used to really be confused about. I was like, why are we praying for bread? I don't understand. Um, the idea is this, bread was the, was the sustenance of life for the people that Jesus is talking to. So if he were like in America today, teaching us this praise prayer, God, give us this day our daily hamburgers. I don't know. Um, if it was in Korea, give us this day our daily rice. Like the idea is what, the thing that's your sustenance, the thing that you survive on for, for teenagers is ramen and cereal or whatever. You know, the idea is that God says, just pray for me to provide what you need to survive those basic things. And interestingly, that word daily, it's an adjective that's very rarely ever used in scripture. And it actually doesn't just mean today, it means today and tomorrow. It can be translated either way or as both. The idea is pray for God to provide what you need today and pray for your kid's spouse of tomorrow. Like you can pray for God to provide all that you need for this day and the days to come. And I love this, probably my favorite passage of, about prayer in Matthew 7, which I know Brian's gonna preach soon. Um, Jesus, Jesus says this, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven good give, give good gifts to you who ask? And so Jesus is like, ask God to give you the good things that you need. He delights in doing that. That's his joy. I mean, my kids, if my kids say, hey, dad, I need, I need some money or, hey, can you give me some advice? I don't be like, dude, get away from me. I don't know you. Like, I, I don't do that. Now, if you just ask for me for 20 bucks, no, no, no. No, like I love, I, I do. Like for me, Christmas is the best holiday ever with, as a dad because when my kids open up their gifts and they're like, what? No way. I'm just like so overjoyed. That is my joy as a dad to bless my children and see them full of joy. And Jesus says, your heavenly father, if you're like that, imagine how much more your heavenly father is like that. He delights in answering those prayers. So ask him, ask him to supply your needs. And then he says this, ask the father to forgive us. And this is a little lengthy, but it's all in there. Ask the father to forgive us as we actively forgive, just as we have been forgiven. At the end of this, of this Lord's Prayer, Jesus tacks on this lengthy thing about in the same way you forgive others, the Father's gonna forgive you. And if you don't forgive others, don't expect he's gonna forgive you. And, and it seems kind of out of place, but Jesus says in this prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have already forgiven our debtors. Jesus' point is this, pray for forgiveness. But as you pray for forgiveness, remember that you too have been forgiven. If you've ever been deeply hurt by somebody, you know it's difficult sometimes to forgive. And sometimes you have to kind of come back to that and circle back over that. And Jesus says, hey, you need to understand, if you won't forgive others, then you don't understand what it is to be forgiven by God. And, and Jesus tells this parable later on in Matthew about this man who had been given, forgiven this huge debt. It was gone. This debt was wiped clean. And then he goes to somebody that owes him this puny amount and he won't forgive him and, and wants him put in jail. And Jesus says, if you have that mentality, you want God to forgive you, but you won't forgive others. He's like, you missed the point. And so he says, you can actually share in the joy of God in forgiving other people. And that is a joy when you can forgive somebody and walk in, in that life of extending grace. And then he, he ends the prayer with this. Next one. He says, ask the Father to give you guidance and protection. Lead us 
not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that God leads you into temptation. He's saying that he's praying. The prayer, the idea of the prayer is this, God, let us not give into the temptation. Into the temptation. Empower me, equip me, help me when the temptation comes, which is completely consistent with 1 Corinthians 10, where, Jesus, where Paul writes, no temptation has come upon you except what's common to humanity. In other words, Temptation's coming, folks. We all know that. He says, but God is faithful and he won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able to stand up under. But when the temptation comes, he will provide a way out. And Jesus says, ask him, ask him for his guidance, ask him for his protection, ask him to deliver you from being tempted beyond what you can bear. Because sometimes it does feel like that's what we're up against. Hey, here's the thing. Andrew Murray made this statement. He says, Jesus taught us how to pray he never taught us how to preach. And I find that very interesting. We put a lot of emphasis in the church on preaching, probably not enough on prayer. You agree? Yeah. And I wonder sometimes if we can't slip in and slip out of church on a Sunday and prayer is the thing, and this is no, no knock to any, anybody here because I think it's a common challenge in the church. Prayer is often done as a segue between the important things. When prayer is the important thing. And I think if we're not careful, prayer for us will become the thing that we do in public for the crowd and we forget the prayer closet. And Jesus said, God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to be alone and to hear him speak and he wants to hear you speak. And he wants to know what's on your heart. And he wants you to ask him for his help. D.A. Carson, in his uh, commentary about the, about the Sermon on the Mount, asked these questions I think are worthy of our consideration. So these are the questions I want you to consider. Do I make time to just pray and listen to God daily? And I'm going to say this. If you don't make time, it won't happen. You need to put in your schedule. One of the things that's helpful for me in that practice is to write out prayers. When I write them out, somehow it's, it changes it. But you need to make time to listen to God. Second of all, second question is, do I pray frequently or more passionately when I'm alone or when I'm with other people? Is my public prayer an overflow of my private prayer life? What do I think of when I'm praying in public versus private? Do I talk too much in my prayers? Do I make time to listen for the Holy Spirit? Am I thinking of myself or what others might think of more than what God is thinking when I'm praying? Is it possible that the reason more of my prayers are not answered is because I'm more concerned about bringing my prayer to men than to God? Does my pattern of prayer reflect the model of prayer that Jesus has laid out for me? And the most important question I think we need to all wrestle with this is how is God convicting me in my prayer life? How is God convicting you in your prayer life? What does he want you to do? 
There's a lot in that sermon, but I'm wondering if you could maybe grab one thing and say, I need this. God's calling me to this. And would you be willing to act on that this week? God wants to hear from you. He delights in hearing from you. He wants to answer your prayers. It's his joy to do that. I'm not gonna close in prayer, but I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and talk to God. You, alone, your closet right here in a church and tell him what you're thinking and feeling right now and ask him to help you to walk in his ways that he's laid out for us. Will you bow your heads and pray?